I'm Kevin Lipwit, joined by Andrew Page. We are from Theogen, and this is the Bioinformatics Lab podcast. And today we're going to continue on the conversation of the impacts of COG UK. And there's a specific paper we're going to be highlighting here in, term, uh, in terms of, you know, the, the kind of insights genomics data allowed for during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Yeah, so cast your mind back to the year uh, or summer of 2020, you know, all was good. You know, we had the initial surge of COVID and then uh, certainly in Europe, it died down over the summer. And, you know, because there were severe lockdowns, no one could go anywhere. Everyone was like, yeah, grand, you know, things are under control. Cases are, are you know, are subsided. Maybe everything will be okay. And then, you know, of course, things get worse then after that. But uh, what I want to tell you about is a, a paper by a colleague, uh, Dinesh Agarwal, who uh, is, was doing a PhD in the University of Cambridge uh, with the Sanger Institute. He's a medical doctor in infectious diseases, and he recently won an award from the Royal College of uh, Pathologists, a silver medal, actually, uh, in the infectious diseases and microbiology category for his paper on genomic assessment of quarantine measures to prevent SARS-CoV-2 importation and transmission. And I was in the lucky position and my wife to help out with this paper. We were put together by a Sharon Peacock um, a collaborator who uh, understood that he needed a bit of genomic support or bioinformatics support uh, to help analyze his data. And so it was kind of nice. What he did was he got all the positive tests um, that were that have been sequenced, all the, uh, the coming into the UK, so returning travelers and, and travelers. And as they came to the UK, if they tested positive, those samples would be sequenced. And then... He had a because he had a joint position with the public health body, um, which at the time was called Public Health England, <clears throat> and is now called a UK Health Security Agency. He's able to get the medical information, and he's a medic as well, so he could go to the medical notes and put together this kind of picture. And it was it's super cool what he found. Actually, you could see the kind of bleeding edge, the leading edge of. Um, new lineages coming into the UK, uh, you know, you can see a little upsurge, you know, in the importations. And then, you know, a week or two or three later, you could see in the general surveillance that was going on within Cog UK, uh, across the, the country of people who hadn't travelled, you'd see this massive surge. And so it was the importations and then the surge, you know, in the community. And you could see very clearly it was the importation driving this and uh, kind of sparking things up because cases were very low at that point and extinct lineages and extinct whatever, you know, in the UK, which weren't being picked up from surveillance, suddenly reappeared, which is, like, phenomenal, you know? To get that granularity, to see it actually happening is just insane. Like, you, you, I haven't seen this anywhere else. And because this information was there and available, it meant it was being fed back immediately to um, the government through the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies in the UK. And so government policy could change and adapt um, using real scientific evidence based on genomics, which I guess is probably the first time that's happened. Um, you know, when when you consider it, it's got to be, yeah. Because I mean, we were talking about even just the last episode of of you know a lot of this still lived in the academic space of, of refining the technologies, and we were seeing how it could be laid over maybe retrospective outbreaks and things like this. But I mean, through Cog UK, you had amazing real-time capabilities. You had the sequencing and, and bioinformatics to be able to turn around, and then you had somebody in in a position where they could map it to clinical uh, or, or like really critical metadata there uh, to be able to understand. So, how 
how is that process? Because that's always so difficult to do is whenever you get the sequencing data and then you have the metadata to be able to, to use the genomic linkage and then see how that relates to the information about, you know, uh, where this patient was and, and, and all the like that, that you can draw these kinds of narratives. Like, was that just immediately available to someone in, the, in this unique position? Um, hey, was it was, yeah, yeah. An intent of, uh, you know, COG UK bringing in somebody like Dinesh who, who can look at both sides of the, the coin here. That, that was the intent, someone who had that particular uh, set of skills, but also could draw on the skills of others, um, you know, the right people to bring in at the right times. And he had to, he had to be very strict, you know, on, on what is, def you know, where do people get infected? So it was only two people who traveled in the last two days, you know? Yeah. And of course, the, the, the um, incubation time for SARS-CoV-2 is much longer than that, but, you know, you have to be very strict with that definition to really narrow it down. But what was really more interesting was he had the, you know, the demographic demographics of the people and where they'd been to. And I know at the time, as someone who was who's um in, in the media and whatever, talking about coronavirus, um, mm. people were emailing me saying quite racist things, you know, they're like blaming immigrants on bringing in, you know, SARS-CoV-2 into the country yeah. and you know, uh, migrant workers and whatever, and, you know, laying the blame at, at their door. But actually, one thing that this study did show is that it was um, young, white British people um, who were going on holidays in the middle of a pandemic to sun holiday locations were bringing it back. And then you could see the immediate impact, um, you know, in the community. So, it, you know, it was, uh, you know, lads going on drinking holidays, sitting by the beach. Yeah. And actually, I remember there were press reports at the time showing... <clears throat> you know, maskless, uh, you know, young people, not to blame young people in general, but it was just, it It was of our own doing, you know, it's not, we, there's no immigrants uh, or, or people like that causing these problems. It was, you know, ourselves and uh, our habits. And maybe we shouldn't have gone on holidays during a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a position I can certainly stand behind. And that that was, you know, we don't have to get too into that, but that was such an ugly side of the COVID-19 response. You saw a lot of the xenophobic, uh, like knee-jerk reactions of things. It must be the others who are bringing this in. Uh, but again, that you, through the genomic data, it elucidates what's actually happening. We can look at the explicit genomic relatedness and 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 present this to to the public health officials who uh, who, who need to inform, you know, action and and even convey this to the general wider audience that is understanding, you know or at least hopefully starting to understand the individual impact, uh, you know, someone can have, even, even if you're young and healthy on a, on a population during a pandemic. And then there's also, you know, there's some of the major findings too, of like what the impact of quarantine is and, and how that related to uh, one, even being able to observe what was happening. I think, you know, when, when you're doing genomic epidemiology, it's hard to find the source of the fire when everything's still burning in a blaze. Right. But when everything's sort of down cool and embers, you can kind of see the sources of where different sparks are coming from. And then there was even, I think, you know, just looking uh, through even just the abstract of uh, of the article, I think it was, you know, overall, our study demonstrates that a 14-day quarantine period reduces, but not completely eliminates the onward transmission of imported cases, mainly uh, by dissuading travel to countries with a quarantine requirement. Yeah. I guess you can see in Australia, you know, where they had severe quarantines and they were, they were far from everyone. And the same mm -hmm. with New Zealand. They kept a lot of it out, but at certain points, stuff came in, you know, like there's a famous case of someone who was negative when they got on a plane, 
to New Zealand. And then 19 hours or whatever, when they landed, they were positive. And you just can't stop it totally. You can suppress yeah. it. You can you know bring in all these measures. But then at a certain point, you have to uh, bring in realism, you know, and what personal liberties people have, you know, and if you go too severe, well, it, you know, you're also causing harm as well. So it's just kind of trade-off. Um, but I think the power genomics is to, r- rather than people making up stuff and uh, using it to, um, I suppose, further their own aims, like, uh, you know, maybe yeah. white supremacy or whatever, or, or racism, then, you know, at least you can come back with information and say, actually, no, you know, that's not true. This is what the data actually says. And sometimes data does have uncomfortable stuff, but quite often it does not support a lot of these wacky claims. Um, so yeah, genomics is is positive in, in many ways, you know, um, just for dispelling a lot of myths. Um, so yeah. Yeah, well done I mean, that. yeah, and that's that's the the argument for science, right? Because it, it presents the data in a way that you have to uh, you're forced to, to look at what's actually happening. You know, in the absence of this kind of information, you can throw out any idea there. And you can imagine, especially in that state of like early 2020 or, or uh, you know, even t- into 2021, where people are not sure what's happening, they want to have some kind of rationale. So again, you're going to default to what's top of mind. And if it's fear, then you can imagine why people are drawing lines between there's an us and there's a them. Uh, kind of thing. But I think through the pandemic, we realized there is no them. It's an it's an us world. It, it, it's cross borders. We travel, we exchange goods. And so what's happening anywhere is going to be happening everywhere, uh, especially with respect to infectious diseases. And when we can't use those heuristics of like legacy thoughts of, you know, drawing lines by race and gen- or race and uh, socioeconomic, um, all these other things that are, are seem in, in some uh, context, maybe uh, the, the low-hanging, uh, obvious thing for somebody to point to of, of the reason bad things are happening in my life, you know, or, or bad things are happening in my country where it's like, no, okay, let's, let's actually look at the information in front of us. Can we figure out what's really happening? Uh, and in this case, we found out it's the exact opposite of what people were touting as, as the main rationale behind uh, cases in the country. It wasn't the others, you know, it was actually our own. It was our kids. It was our young people and things like yeah. that that were out visiting things. So, so what was, what was, you know, obviously we can look at it in the academic context. Clearly there's um, accolades being thrown towards this work now, but, uh, you know, as this was, was uh, actively coming out, was, was there any resistance to this kind of information you were seeing, or was it really taken up and absorbed by UK? It was like, okay, this is then uh, how we act and communicate what's happening. Partially. I mean, um, there's a lot of stuff at play because it did encourage them not to necessarily put in quarantine uh, measures or, or to, to avoid that. But at the same time, then for, I guess, political reasons, whatever, governments have to be seen to be doing something. And so then actually after that, there was red lists, you know, of countries who were, couldn't mm. come to the UK and, and things like this. So it, it at least informed, but, you know, politicians don't have to follow the advice that they are given. Yeah. Um, and I, but they have to be answered to that. Like, you know, you, whatever decision they made, hey, we can say you had this yeah. information in front exactly. of you. And then a few months later, there was the uh, the UK variant or the alpha variant uh, kicked yeah. off. And then that kind of changed the game again. Again, people were panicking and whatever, and more lockdowns and more whatever. Um, but at least, you know, when there's solid scientific information, you can start to make informed decisions rather than just 
kind of making stuff up or assuming that you know what's going on when yeah when it's not and when you're rolling the dice with you know millions of people you know billions really when we're talking about the impact of COVID-19 so um yeah it, it, incredible effort I think incredible findings and what of can or what of the, the the processes can you speak to too? Like at this point, whenever sequencing data was coming in, was it already obvious to Cog UK of how to how to perform this analysis on the bioinformatics side? Ah, okay, so it was still even building building the ship as you were sailing, if you will. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this is this is the type of analysis that you would do um, retrospectively a year to yeah. year when you collected all your samples and you know you're not in the middle of a pandemic and everything is going to hell. Um, yeah. This was amidst the fog of war here, like you know. Exactly, exactly. You're trying to do stuff. You're trying to build a ship as a, build a plane as it's flying. Yeah. And yeah. so fair play to him for getting anything out the door, let alone you know really useful stuff. Um, <clears throat> and then as as sequencing was going on, there was time delays and all that. More data was coming in, you know. So it was like, you know, when do you stop? When do you just publish? Yeah. You know, and get the stuff out. But there was always this uh, timeliness uh, was required, you know get it out the door quickly so we can make informed decisions. And then that led within Kogi K to getting quicker and faster data um, out the door. And that meant more money being invested in getting quicker and faster um, processes because prior to that, it, there, it was a little bit lax, you know, it was more on an academic footing, finding people were doing stuff quick, maybe within a week or two, but actually then it was to shorten that timeline down to mm. as you know small as possible. And people did rise to the challenge and they were, you know, changing processes as they went along and scaling up. And, you know, there can be issues with how much do you want to do versus how quickly yeah. you want to do it. And costs are involved in that. You know, you can do smaller batches, but they cost more and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I think generally people did quite well, you know, and uh, over time, the time to get data out into public domain uh, was shortened. And all the data was, of course, going out into the world. And um, so anyone can analyze this data, which is is kind of cool as well. Yeah, so that was obviously a big thing at Cog UK is the data sharing. And as you mentioned before, like it was, I think at one point for a long time, you know, the majority of the SARS-CoV-2 sequence data was coming straight from Cog UK. So in an instance like this, you know, obviously making sure that this could be reproducible, people could see exactly what was happening, the open source workflows and all the like of how to do this kind of analysis also uh, was was contributed to the community. I mean, yeah. At one point, uh, early in the pandemic, when my lab was, uh, if my lab was a country, we would have been fourth in the list of countries for the amount of data we were producing. Um, which is kind of shocking, to be honest, for a little lab in in Norwich, which is just a uh, a small part of the UK. And, and you know, it called Cog UK, but it also supported so many other countries as well. You know, right? Like it was, it was far. Uh, much further reaching just in the borders of U the UK and the countries that make up. Uh, Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Maybe th that's an entire other episode, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, talking about that because there's so many different countries and stories there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, yeah, this was a good one. I feel like, yeah, hats off to Dinesh, everybody that was involved in this work, yourself included. Um, and then all, uh, obviously for uh, that, that uh, prestigious award that, that recognizes the impact of this kind of work. Absolutely. All right. Anything else you want to say about this before we end uh, today's conversation? No, no, I'm fine. Congrats to Dinesh there.